Hey everyone, it's Jada, here to discuss hard taboo topics and realities of being a child sexual abuse survivor. Come join me as I take a deeper dive into my super personal experiences with childhood sexual abuse and how it affected me. Are you someone who wants to break stigmas, learn ways to prevent future abuse, or find useful ways to help abuse survivors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, Jada's Advocacy would be a great podcast for you. Each episode will be a new topic, such as learning coping skills, dealing with flashbacks, or how to go no contact with family members. I look forward to all of you joining me in the fight to prevent and better understand child sexual abuse. Before I jump into the podcast, I do want to give everyone a forewarning that this podcast does include very triggering and sensitive topics that might not be um, good for everybody's ears. It might make people um, very uncomfortable. We will be discussing things like child sexual abuse, rape, all of these things. So if um, these are things that you do not want to discuss and are triggering to you, please do not listen. Feel free to X out and go on about your day. I do not want to trigger people. You can show your support in multiple other ways besides sitting here and subjecting yourself to being triggered. Hi everyone, welcome to the first episode of Jada's Advocacy. I'm super excited to start this podcast as a way to prevent child sexual abuse and just give everybody a better understanding of how to navigate these situations, cope through them, or help a family member or loved one who is going through this. For the first episode of the podcast, I'm going to keep it pretty raw. I'm not going to lot of, I'm not going to do a lot of editing or anything like that. I just want to kind of keep it personal and personable. And um, yeah, I'll just kind of like introduce myself um, for the people who follow me on TikTok. Um, a lot of this might be things that you guys already know, but there might be some people who are following me for the first time or hearing um, about my story for the first time on the podcast. So I'll just kind of go through a rundown of um, a little bit about my story. And yeah, we'll just see where the podcast goes. I'm not really going to hold myself to a lot of rules. I don't really have a script written or anything, so just kind of bear with me through the ums and everything else. Uh, Yeah, so I am a child sexual abuse survivor, and I really want to do a lot of preventative work um, and uh, spreading awareness and talking about things like this um, can prevent like 95% of child sexual abuse. So just figured I would make this podcast kind of as a way to spread more awareness, um, versus just making my like short TikTok trends. I don't really get a lot of informational stuff out on TikTok as much as I would like. And so I survived child sexual abuse at the hands of my biological mother and my stepfather. Um, it started when I was about five, but I have really fragmented memories and I have repressed a lot of things as well as suppressed. Um, so although I believe it was five, you know, it could have been before that. Um, I grew up in a pretty, um, poor family. We were lower middle class. We weren't like completely poor, but we did eat out of food boxes and stuff. Um, yeah, so the abuse started with my stepfather and my biological mother mother around five. And this is when we lived um, in a three-bedroom, one-bath apartment in Portland, Oregon. It was like 92nd in Flavel area. I don't know. Um, people are completely familiar with Oregon, but it's not a very 
you know, it's not a nice neighborhood or anything. It was pretty bad. Um, so the abuse started when I was around five, like I said, and it could have been earlier than that, but, um, my parents were having, um, sex on their bed and then they pulled me up into it, um, and got me involved. And then, um, from that point on, I don't remember my mom ever sexually abusing me ever again, but her husband, my stepfather from that point on, um, abused me sexually almost every other day of my life. Um, sometimes more, it just really depended on like schedules and things like that. Um, and during the, it was about nine years of abuse from five years old, roughly to about 13. And those are rough estimates. And then, uh, During those nine years, I experienced a lot of no-contact child sexual abuse, such as being shown um, pornographic material, as well as being shown, like, bestiality videos. I experienced animal child sexual abuse, which is when a predator will force an animal and a child to do um, inappropriate things together. And I also am a survivor of the child porn industry. Um, My mom trafficked me to a man who took um, explicit pictures of me. And then these pictures were sold, um, to the child porn industry. And I am, um, part of the statistics of child sexual abuse survivors who have not been able to prosecute. So, um, yeah, it's not uncommon. It's very, very common for child sexual abuse cases to never get any justice, never report. Um, and there are a lot of reasons behind why that happens. Not, not all because of fear. Sometimes it can be other things. But, um, in my case, the majority of the reason why I haven't came forward, um, or pressed charges yet is because of fear, um, fear that my siblings won't be taken care of or fear of retaliation. Um, I've had a lot of fear my entire life, just fear of my abusers even, and just fear of them judging me because they were my parents and I did love them for a really long time. But yeah, that's a little bit, um, about my story. And as we go on throughout the podcast, um, and I get better at making these episodes and stuff, I'll go deeper into a lot of my story and, um, hopefully I can do some like Q and A's and some different things. Um, as I go on, I'm going to be trying to make, um, at least one episode every month. And then if I have more time, I'll start to do two episodes each month. So hopefully we can get some really good information out there and some awareness, um, educate parents and, you know, survivors on how to better help themselves. My main focus is definitely prevention work, just because looking back on my story and my experiences now that I'm an adult, I really do see that a lot of adults just completely um, either missed the signs or purposely didn't see them, maybe didn't know what signs to look for. And I feel like if um, my family and the adults around me, such as teachers, clinicians, all of these people, um, were more educated around the signs of child sexual abuse and how um, teenagers respond to this kind of abuse and things as well, that I probably could have, you know, been abused for a lot less time. Somebody could have stepped in and prevented the abuse from going on for a lot longer than it did. There were um, a lot of signs that, looking back now, I can see, and I feel like education and the lack of education is what really made people just completely fail me. Um, For example, in fourth grade, which in fourth grade, I believe you're around 11, um, you might even be younger, like 10, 
I missed like 94 days during that school year. And um, after 10 days of, of school missed in a row, you're supposed to, um, as a teacher, call um, the CPS or truancy and get you, you know, in trouble for missing school. So these people were never, ever called or, you know, I never drew a red flag for my teachers and the people at the school that I was missing so much school. And then when I was at school, I was having severe emotional regulation issues and constantly going to the counselor's office with stomach aches and headaches, which, um, unknown or headaches and stomach aches for unknown medical reasons is definitely a sign of child sexual abuse as well as just having, um, emotional outbursts and things like that, which I was definitely experiencing, um, almost every single day at school. I, I remember more times than not going to the counselor's office, um, during elementary school as well, but that did continue even on into middle school. And then high school was significantly hard for me. I mean, I barely had any friends besides, you know, a girlfriend that I was clinging to because of a trauma bond. Um, yeah, I was hypersexual. I acted out in horrible ways that was always seen as being the bad example or the bad influence, the bad child, and never really being seen as, um, a survivor of something or a victim that needed help. Um, I was still a child and I really do think that a lot of the adults looked at me like I should just be able to figure everything out on my own and I didn't really need any help or guidance and that was the furthest from the truth. Um, I feel like I would be a lot further in my life and in my healing process um, if people would have stepped in and really helped me out when I was a child. So we really do need to spread education and awareness and survivors who are willing and brave enough or they have the ability to and it's actually safe for them to come forward. I really do strongly advise people to come forward and start talking about child sexual abuse and not just child sexual abuse as a whole, but the deep details of it and how sad and um, the true detrimental um, effects that it has on the survivors as well as the families of the survivors. I mean, it rips families apart and a lot of families don't know how to um, navigate situations like this when it's brought to them because they weren't educated before it happens. They only just start learning about it when their family member, friend, um, or loved one comes up to them and tells them that this has happened and then they this is the first time that they start learning about it. And this can be very damaging. You don't want to be learning about child sexual abuse for the first time when dealing with a survivor who's coming to you for support. Um, This can lead to re-victimization of the survivor or the victim because you're not properly, um, you don't have the tools to properly handle the situation. So people can act out in anger or denial and blame And then these responses can ultimately traumatize the child sexual abuse survivor even more, um, sometimes to the point where they will not open up again and it'll force them back into um, being silent or even recanting their statement and saying that it never happened because of the shame and just the way that people respond to child sexual abuse survivors sometimes can be more traumatic than the abuse itself, which can shove us back into 
a very shameful place where we are not willing to open up or talk about the abuse anymore. So for this episode, I think that I'm going to really just go over like what child sexual abuse is, kind of what the signs are, and some ways that we can prevent it. And then as I start going um, deeper into the podcast, then we'll go more into specifics involving my story, the things that I've personally gone through, and then um, we'll just take it from there and see where it takes us. But um, for now... I'm going to just kind of give a definition of what child sexual abuse is so that people who are not familiar or are using this podcast as a way to learn more about it um, can. So what is child sexual abuse? Um, Child sexual abuse is a form of child abuse that includes sexual activity with a minor um, and children cannot consent in any form of sexual activity. So when a predator engages with a child in this way, they're committing a crime and it does have lasting effects on the victim for years. Um, And then it also, child sexual abuse, um, there's a common misconception that all child sexual abuse has um, physical touch, but that's not always true. There are forms of no contact child sexual abuse, which involve like um, exposing yourself to a minor, showing a minor um, explicit adult content, any like online grooming or enticement of a minor, things like that. So what do predators look like? A lot of people will ask. And um, unfortunately, predators look like everyone else. You're not going to know um, a predator when you see one. But it is good to know that um, as many as 93% of victims under the age of 18 do know their abusers. It's very rare that a child sexual abuser is going to be a stranger. It does happen, but it's not as common. Most of the time, the people who are abusing kids um, know that child. So it'll be a family member, a close friend, or an adult who has um, close access to the child, such as a teacher, coach, um, church bishop, those kind of people. Um, so yeah, those, that's kind of like a rundown of what child sexual abuse um, is, but I, but it also, child sexual abuse is an umbrella term and sometimes people can be confused, um, and think that child sexual abuse, um, is only, um, sexual abuse if it includes intercourse or penetration, but that is not true. Um, child sexual abuse is an umbrella term, which covers a lot of different things such as fondling a child, um, like molestation and of course it can involve intercourse masturbation in the presence of a minor forcing a minor to masturbate Um, animal child sexual abuse would be included in that child on child sexual abuse would be under the umbrella Um, child sex trafficking Um, all of those are they fall under the umbrella term child sexual abuse So now that I've gone over kind of like what child sexual abuse is and what it can kind of um, involve, now let's go over some of like the physical signs um, that this could be happening to a child. Could be like bleeding, bruising, swelling in the genital area, bloody torn or stained underpants, um, difficulty walking or sitting, frequently urinating or yeast infections, um, UTIs, bedwetting, pain itching or burning in the genital area. These are all physical signs and oftentimes these won't ever be seen um, unless most of the time child sexual abusers are going to not want to cause physical harm. They're going to want to hide it 
So although these are not common, they, they do happen, but they're not as common. But the behavioral signs of child sexual abuse, which are more common, would be like changes in hygiene, such as refusing to bathe or bathing excessively. And I personally experienced the bathing excessively. I felt dirty constantly as a victim of child sexual abuse. There was periods of my life where my hair was so brittle and my skin was so dry because I was literally excessively bathing like three plus times a day. Anytime I would really get triggered, I would honestly take a shower and then it would make it even worse for me because I like really like scorching hot showers. So my skin and my hair was just so dry. So that is definitely something I experienced. And then developing phobias exhibit signs of depression or post-traumatic stress disorder, which I also had. I have um, major depressive disorder and I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And then um, experiencing in suicidal thoughts, especially in adolescence, has trouble in school such as absences or drop in grades, which, which I had mentioned earlier in the podcast that my absences were crazy and I'll go to the uh, counselor's office all the time and then inappropriate sexual knowledge or behaviors which I definitely also experienced as a um, survivor of this I knew a lot of sexual knowledge than I ever should have known um, because of the pornographic material I was shown as well as just the abuse that I was actively going through with my stepfather Um, and then I also excessively masturbated as a child which I've heard a lot that does happen And then um, nightmares or bedwetting, overly protective or concerned about your siblings or assume that a caretaker role uh, or assumes a caretaker role. So for me, I definitely did that. Um, Still to this day, I'm way overprotective of my siblings. And um, for me, my, um, my perpetrator, my stepfather, throughout the abuse, he would tell me that if I were ever to tell anyone or if anyone found out that this was happening, that I would never see my siblings again, which probably made my protection of them and concern for my siblings like grow even more than it would have just naturally from being the older sibling. Um, And then there's also signs of like returns to regressive behaviors such as thumb sucking or maybe a child who once could talk doesn't talk anymore or a child who could walk um, doesn't walk anymore. And um, those things can, of course, be signs of other um, issues, other medical underlining issues that aren't child sexual abuse, but it is um, important to note that these regressive behaviors can be a sign. And then um, running away from home or school can be a sign. Um, Self-harm shrinks away or seems threatened um, by physical contact. So like maybe you go in for a hug and the child will back away. And um, another sign would be a child being scared of somebody. And sometimes it's not always being scared of an individual person. Sometimes it can be just scared of a caricature. Caricature? Whoa, man, that word is hard. Um, so like a person who has glasses um, may have abused your child. So then everybody with glasses will start to scare your child. Or maybe facial hair. Um, the person who did it had a goatee, so now everybody um, that your child sees you has a goatee, your child maybe acts in a panic state. Um, so those are all, you know, pretty basic signs, but it also is very good to um, keep in the front of your head that sometimes, unfortunately, child sexual abuse, there are no signs. It is rare, um, 
it's more times we're just not noticing the signs they're there but there are cases where there really are no signs um so as much as we want to prevent it um we can't always unfortunately but now that we know some of the signs what are some of the things that we can do to prevent it you might be asking yourself so let's like run down the list of some ways that we can prevent child sexual abuse from happening some of the best ways that we can prevent our children from ending up being victims of child sexual abuse is just taking an active role in your child's life make sure you know about the activities and the people that they're involved in and that you know the signs of grooming and that um you are aware that the caretakers babysitters coaches all of these people are screened and you've run background checks on them that's very important. Um, Sometimes people will just take people at face value. And when we're talking about the protection of children, we cannot take people's words for or looks at face value. Because like I mentioned earlier, predators look like everyone. Um, It can be the most put together, nice person in the entire world. um, And they could still be a predator. Predators can be women. Predators can be men. Predators can be non-binary. Predators can be anyone. Um, So, yes, take an active role in your child's life. And then, like I said, know the grooming um, signs, which can, can, um, can include, like, finding frequent ways to be alone with your child or ignoring your child's need for privacy. And then also giving gifts or money for no particular occasion. Um, for me, I lived in a home with two um, half siblings and then I had a stepsister who would come over occasionally. She did not live with us full time. But growing up, I was always favorited by my stepfather. Um, This led to negative dynamics between me and my siblings and them feeling like they were not heard or appreciated um, in the same way that I was. And this was definitely a red flag that a lot of my family members kind of avoided or didn't notice, I guess. But yeah, any place I wanted to go, I could go if I wanted, like, like for example, let's say we're all in the car and we're like, where does everybody want to go to eat? Let's pick um, a restaurant that we want to go to eat. And everyone's like, I want to go to, um, uh, I want to go to this pizza place, for example. And I say, I don't want pizza. I, I absolutely hate pizza. And then even though all four people in the car want to go get pizza, they won't and they'll just go where I want. And I believe that this had to do with them knowing that they were abusing me, um, them meaning my parents, um, specifically my stepfather. Um, And he knew that he was abusing me, so then he would just um, favor me as probably a way of keeping me um, satisfied or happy and complicit um, in keeping his secret. So favoriting children is definitely a sign. Um, especially in a multiple child household and one child is getting favored. Um, and then another way to prevent it is make sure that you talk to your children, which of course would be, you know, taking an active role. Um, let make sure you're teaching consent and teaching the correct private body part, the correct names for your body parts, such as vagina and penis. Boys and girls should know both body parts. 
Um, you shouldn't just be teaching boys that they have penises. You should also be teaching um, boys that girls have vaginas because the people who um, abuse the child may be of the opposite gender. So it's very important that children are aware of both the genitalias and their correct terminologies. Um, and then it's really important to teach okay touches and not okay touches. And you can start this as early as changing a child's diaper. They don't even need to be um, talking when you start this. When you start changing your baby's diaper before they even can talk, you can start communicating with your baby what you're doing by saying, um, all right, now we're gonna change your diaper. I'm going to start applying cream now. And even though they cannot speak, you are um, setting yourself up um, in the future when they can speak. Um, as a, you know, you're teaching yourself how to navigate these situations and teaching yourself how to teach your kids okay and not okay touches. This can also be carried on into bath time um, because, of course, when your children are young, we, we do wash them so that we know that they actually get clean, which includes washing their genitals. So when you are doing these things, it's very important to um, teach your children that it's okay for mommy and daddy to just wash your wash your um, your vagina or your penis and your butt, but it's not okay for any other people to do this. And um, once your child is of age and can hold a sponge or soap, they should be um, encouraged to do these behaviors on do these um, do these things on their own as well as um, wiping themselves. Um, it's really important that we don't have older kids or people um, or adults wiping the butts or bathing children who are old enough to do these things on their own. Um, and then um, educate your children the difference between good secrets and bad secrets. There are good secrets such as birthday surprises and then bad secrets would be anything that makes a child feel unsafe or uncomfortable. Um, yeah. No adult should really be keeping secrets with a child. And then, especially in 2023, it's really important that we are monitoring our child's use of technology, including cell phones, social networking sites, messaging, review all of those contact lists and make sure that you are asking questions, not just scanning through them, not seeing anything wrong, and then just going on with your day. It's really important to keep these conversations open and talk about the risks of um, online grooming and things like that with our children. They can be very uncomfortable um, topics, but it's really important that we do talk about them, no matter how uncomfortable they are. There are ways that we can um, teach kids things like this without scaring them or without um, causing them trauma just by ex explaining this kind of stuff. I can go into that um, a little bit later into this episode. And then... Uh, one of the biggest things is just trust your instincts as a parent. If you feel uneasy about leaving your child with someone, just don't leave them there. Um, sometimes we have to make sacrifices, which means that you might not be able to make it to your dinner party or you might not be able to work make it to work that day because the daycare just is giving you a bad vibe or whatever the case may be. But always put your child before whatever is going on in your life. Um, it would be really unfortunate that you had a a gut feeling that something might not be right, but you don't listen to it. You leave your child with that person and then ultimately something horrible happens to your child. That is not something that anyone or any parent would ever want on their conscious. So I really do just trust your instincts. That is a really, really big one. 
And if you're concerned about possible sexual abuse, ask questions. And I'm talking about ask the child questions. In my case, nobody ever asked me growing up, how's your home life? Like, is everything okay? And I feel like if we open those questions and we're uh, more brave enough to ask children how things were going on at home, children would um, feel like they had the opportunity to ask for help. A lot of children who are experiencing child sexual abuse are already scared of adults. So it's very rare that we're going to be comfortable enough to open up that conversation um, and trust that this adult is also not somebody who could possibly hurt us or not believe us. Um, Yeah. And then the last thing, um, which is really important, which I did talk about a little bit, but if your child tells you that he or she has been abused, it's really important to stay calm, listen carefully, and never blame the child. Make sure that you thank your child for telling you, and then, of course, report the abuse right away, um, which could be authorities, and then the authorities will usually um, will usually tell you to go to the hospital, the local hospital, which... So, RAIN.org, which is R-A-I-N-N.org, has some really good resources on how to start conversations about safety when your kids are young. Um, And it says on there, I'm going to use it for some references while I'm um, recording this, but it says that, of course, like we already talked about, teach your children the names of their body parts. That's one of the first things to do when your child is very young. Um, and then t- teach your children that some of their body is private. Let the children know that other people shouldn't look or touch them. And that if a healthcare professional has to examine their parts, that um, a mo- their mom or dad should be present. Um, it's really important to teach young kids that it's okay to say no. It's important to let children know that they're allowed to say no to touches that make them unfeel, um, that make them feel uncomfortable. Sometimes this isn't very obvious to children. So um, this can be as simple as just a touch, like um, a hug. If somebody doesn't want to hug someone at a, father, uh, a family gathering, just respect that decision and say, okay, like that's fine. Don't make it seem like a big deal um, because this teaches children that if somebody pressures them that they should just end up saying yes and hugging that person or doing whatever that person wants, even though they have already voiced that they don't want to do that. Um, Teach your children young about secrets. Predators often use secret keeping to manipulate children. So let children know that they can always talk to you, especially if they've been told to keep a secret. And then if you see, if they see someone touching another child, they shouldn't keep that secret either. So that's really important. And then always reassure children that they won't get in trouble because when you're a young child, you really do fear getting in trouble or upsetting their parents or asking questions or talking about our experiences. So be a safe place for your child to share information about things they have questions about that make them uncomfortable and remind them that you won't ever punish them for sharing this information with you. And you can't just remind them, you also have to follow through. So don't ever punish a child for sharing information with you. And then um, show the child what's the right thing to do. So be a positive example, be a leader, um, do things that you want your child to be seen as good or um, positive behaviors. This can be as simply as helping an elderly person get off the bus, picking up change that someone has dropped on the ground. It's not always involving child sexual abuse. It's just um, doing things that signal to your child that are normal or positive things. And then when a child comes up to you, um, make sure that you make them feel important. Don't spend all of your time looking down at your phone saying one second, one second. It's really important to give your undivided attention to children. It can make us feel unseen and unimportant um, or like the things that we're talking about just don't really matter to our parents, which can um, lead us to not share more important things with our parents. 
So yeah, and then that's the kind of things that Rain suggests for younger children. And then for um, keeping safety conversations and engaging teens, it says like use media to make it relevant. Um, ask like teens opinions on something that like happened in social media. And then that can kind of like engage a conversation. Um, use own your own experiences to tell safety stories. Like sharing your own personal experiences can make these conversations relevant and feel more real to your teenagers. If you don't have an experience, you can tell a story about somebody else that you know or just make up a story um, like a scenario. Um, talk about caring for their friends, not just about their own behavior. So talking about how um, to be a good friend and um, how to help your friends is really important. And then talk about sexual assault directly. For some teens, safety issues like sexual assault aren't on their radar. Um, and it may ha- there may be many misconceptions about sexual assault that they picked up from their peers or on media. So make sure that you bring up statistics that relate to them, as such as the fact that 93% of victims who are minors know their perpetrator. And then explain that no one looks like a rapist and that 8 out of 110 instances of sexual assault are committed by someone known to the victim. So using statistics to really bring light to these situations, like these are how prevalent it is. You are not the one person who this can't happen to. This happens to everybody. Yeah, that's very important to teach teenagers. Sometimes we can be very naive. I mean, I know I was, I was a survivor of child sexual abuse starting at a very young age. So I was really normalized to these behaviors of grooming and sexual exploitation and things like that. So I definitely fell into um, online grooming and just a lot worse situations than I that could have been avoided if I would have been taught these things. But unfortunately, the people who were um, abusing me were the same people who were supposed to be teaching me this stuff. Um, that's why I'm also a very strong advocate that we need to be teaching comprehensive sex, sex education starting in pre-K all the way up until 12th grade. Um, and this will prevent child sexual abuse from happening. Um, it's very important because not all parents are teaching children sex ed at home. And then for the kids who are being abused at home, they're, you know, they're relying on their teachers and then the teachers who are abusive, um, most of the time, if your parents are not abusing you, they will be more likely to teach consent. So of course we should still be encouraging our parents and, um, the adults in children's lives to be teaching sex education and consent, but it also should be in the curriculum. Um, and you should not be able to opt out of sex education at all. Um, for me, I was never taught sex education at all. The only sex education class I had was in eighth grade, meaning it was years after I had already started being abused and the whole entire class was being taught abstinence, which is from refraining from sexual activities to prevent STDs and pregnancy. And I was really, you know, that was pounded into my head that just stay abstinent, don't have sex. And this just led to me being filled with shame because as a child, I did not realize that I wasn't having sex, that it was actually just sexual abuse. I interpreted it as I had already had sex by being a survivor of sexual abuse. And this just filled me with shame. I felt more disgusted than I already did. Um, It just wasn't beneficial to teach children 
who are, you know, possibly victims of child sexual abuse to be abstinent. It's, it's not, um, it's not helpful at all. So I definitely would teach, um, how to have safe sex and how to, um, deal with child sexual abuse, teaching the signs, uh, signs of grooming, um, giving kids resources and hotlines, um, to reach out for help if these things are happening to them at home because 93% of victims who are minors know the perpetrator, meaning that a lot of the times these people are being abused in their homes. Although child sexual abuse and all things involving child sexual abuse are very hard to talk about, they're very saddening, it is very important that we continue to spread awareness as a way to prevent it from happening to other kids in the future. It's known that 42 million child sexual abuse survivors are living in the United States alone. That's just the survivors. Um, There are kids actively being sexually abused in the United States and all over the world um, right now as we are recording this podcast, right now as you were listening. Um, So as hard as it is, it is very important. Um, sexual predators are known to target vulnerable families and vulnerable children who don't know consent and don't know the signs of child sexual abuse. They want to target these people. So the more that we talk about it and the more that we educate people and teach people these signs, the less, um, the less chance that these predators have to take advantage of vulnerable families and children. Thank you all so much for listening to my first episode of Jada's Advocacy, and I hope that you all bear with me as I am still learning how I'm going to record these, how I'm going to edit them, and just recording in general. This is all still new to me, and I really just appreciate all of your guys' support so, so much. If you guys are new and this is the first time hearing about me, um, thank you so much for listening, and I would like to send you over to my TikTok, which is Jada's Advocacy. Um, it's exactly the same as my podcast name. So, um, yeah, it's spelled exactly the same and you can find me over there. I have a large following and my content has helped a lot of people. So, um, while you're waiting for the next, um, podcast episode to come out, you can see a lot more of my content over there. I do post, I try and post daily and I do do, um, lives, um, on my TikTok account every Monday around 10 a.m. Sometimes it changes and that's Pacific Standard Time. So I hope to see you guys over there on my TikTok. Again, that's Jada's Advocacy spelled exactly the same as here. And um, yeah, just thank you so much for listening and showing your support. And I look forward to you coming and watching or listening to my next episode. Thank you all again.